My name is Richard Morellis, and I want to welcome you to the Prison Post. This is your podcast for conversations surrounding the need to reform prisons from the perspective of formerly incarcerated people, community members, and leaders in the restorative justice movement. The Prison Post will feature an episode every Wednesday with people who are in the fight to restore lives and heal communities. All right, we're back. Welcome to the Prison Post. My name is Richard Morellis. It's great to be here again. Always with, always a pleasure with my co-host, Jason Bryant. Always is a long time, but I'll take it. All right. <laughs> He's also a new homeowner. Congratulations, Jason. Oh, thank you for that. There's, a, there's some headaches attached to homeownership, but some incredible blessings as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Today, we uh, have the pleasure of meeting with Danny Contreras, a friend of mine for over a decade, also a fellow Soledad brother. Uh, good to have you in the studio today. It's been a while since we had a uh, uh, some people in the studio, it's good to be here. We're all vaccinated, ready to go. <laughs> all right. And um, also we have on Michael Salinas. He's also a former solid dad brother, and he's here. They both have some uh, tremendous transformational stories, reentry stories. And that's really one, one of the purposes of our show is to transform the culture uh, of America and what they think and what, be, what they believe. And also to for people to re- reimagine reentry and to see that there's people out here that are doing it and being successful and not only being successful, but also giving back to their communities and helping other formerly incarcerated people get out and do the same. Welcome to the show, brothers. Thank you. Thank yeah, you thank you. Brothers. Thank you for having us. For sure. So I want to give a little introduction. It might, it might take a, a second here about Danny and Michael, but I think it's really important for people to get a little feel in the beginning of the show for all of our guests. So Danny has a bachelor's degree, bachelor's of science in psychology, multiple certifications as an alcohol and drug counselor. Uh, he's got a lot of uh, certifications with honors. He holds a SUDCC, all, a lot of letters there. Uh, <laughs> we got a few ourselves with the KDAX. <laughs> SUDCC3, Certified Drug and Alcohol Counselor through the CADTP. Um, and Danny works for the County of Santa Cruz Health Services Agency as the health services manager that oversees the Medicated Assisted Treatment Program, Matt, at all the county clinics there. They drove all the way here to be here with us today, all the way from Salinas, so grateful for that. Danny was the recipient of the 2017 County of Santa Cruz Gold Award for being the key contributor uh, to the development of protocols, procedures, forms, workflows, and implementing the medication, medication assisted treatment program at all county clinics. Danny teaches at the local police academy. We've never had a guest like that before. To future officers on stigma, drug addiction, stereotypes, providing trauma-informed care, and he's regularly consulted by agencies, schools, and people in the community on various issues in the community involving at-risk youth, incarceration, reentry, drugs, addiction, implementing MAT, outreach, prevention, intervention, homelessness. Not only that, but he's a happily married man, a father. He has a, a newborn here. Uh, if you know him on Facebook, you see a lot of ba- uh, pictures with babies on the chest. <laughs> and uh, his experience puts him on the journey to just add tremendous value to formerly incarcerated people. Uh, so we're happy to share his story. We have Michael Salinas here as well. Uh, he was born and raised in Gilroy, California, guarded capital of the world. Yes, <laughs> At the age of 11, his life took a turn for the worse. He began to hang out with negative associations, ultimately, ultimately leading to a life of substance abuse, gang activities, and 28 years of incarceration. Now, most of our guests that we've had on the show before have been lifers. Mm. Um, Michael, uh, uh, on the other hand, he did it 28 years on the installment plan. You know, mm-hmm. no judgment, brother. I don't think one is better than the other, but but uh, here he is, man. He's free and he's doing great things. After being released from prison for what seemed like to him, like the hundredth time, he decided to stick to his plan to stay free and knew that this time had to be different, and it was. And he made a powerful choice to put his plan of action into work. He uh, went through his substance use and mental health treatment and his education, and with those three components, he started a new chapter in his life in recovery and giving back to the community. He's remained free ever since and is a graduate of a chemical dependency certification program from Cal State East Bay and is very close to earning his bachelor's degree. Congratulations, brother. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. For sure. He's also the associate director for a substance youth, substance youth, use youth outpatient program. His freedom, sanity, and self-worth are all important to his transformed life. He advocates for the perspective that rehabilitation, reform, and transformation are all possible, and society would be better if we gave the incarcerated and formerly incarcerated a second chance, because his life is an example that anybody can transform. Once again, welcome to the Prison Post, fellas. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. 
Yeah, I want to thank you for taking the day out of your, you know, family life and your work life on a Monday to come out here and, and uh, do a show with us. Uh, what was that? What was that drive like? I know over here it's kind of windy, but um, I don't know if Jason misses that Salinas Valley or Soledad weather. But, uh, <laughs> the craziest thing, I mean, you know, they call it the salad bowl, right? Um, but at the same time, every day, it seemed like as soon as it hit one o'clock p.m., this wind would kick up on the yard. <laughs> That sold as a prison that would not die down, at least on the central yard. And yep. it would just blow and just dirt in your mouth, dirt in your eyes. It was all bad. <laughs> Especially if you had to use a phone at that time. Yeah. You're out there waiting in the dirt. <laughs> they have those winds out there where you're at still? or what's Yeah, that? I mean, the weather is good. Uh, cool, hot. We, yeah. get, we get everything all at, at once. I think I think us, all when we come in up here... Uh, but like all of a sudden we got allergies up here in Sacramento. <laughs> yeah, lots of trees. Yeah, we, we've got a yeah, whole bunch of pollen. A whole bunch of pollen going on around yeah. this area. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely outside. It was, it was pretty windy out there. They had a guy had a blower too. Uh, but uh, uh, it's great to have you guys here, man. Yeah, it's good to be here, man. Let's uh, let's try something a little bit different. So I gave a little bit of introduction to you guys, and um, and normally we start at the beginning of the story. And so would you be willing to start at the end? Where are you at today? Talked a little bit about you know, the career path that you guys are on, uh, your recovery, work with the community. Would you say a little bit about that? How long you've been out? What you're doing? What family life is like? And then we'll walk back to where you were. Okay. Who wants to go first? I think I can go ahead and go first. Um, so so um, I'm very grateful, first of all, to be where I'm at today. I mean, I, I like you said, I've made a huge transformation, you know, to uh, to become a different, you know, member of society right. and. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm right now, again, I'm an associate director for a youth program, um, something that I hold a, a deep passion for, um, something that uh, um, I think I relate to my patients, you know, a, a whole lot more than others because um, I, I am that patient. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for me, that helps me out a whole lot. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, for a long time, I always thought that, you know, my past history was going to uh, hold a deep impact in, of, you know, what I want to become and where I want to be. Um, you know, thank God that, uh, you know, I'm able to, uh, um, you know, use where I've been and what I've gone through. And to hold a, again to hold a deep impact on, on the on the youth that I provide services for. Um, again, you know, I'm in I'm in the process of getting my bachelor's degree. Um, you know, after that, I'm looking into getting my master's in counseling. Awesome. Um, you know, so so I want to continue pushing forward. You know, and, and I think you know just to be able to um, you know give the message to to the you know to the youngsters, man. You right. know, because that's what's important. You know, and um, you know to kind of guide them on the path that you know that I wasn't be able to. It wasn't able to be guided on, you know, so, exactly. um, you know, again, I think, uh, you know, I, I definitely want to continue with my education. You know, I definitely want to, you know, be able to give back to my community, um, you know, and, uh, um, and, 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 and just, you know, uh, provide these sensitive services, you know, and, and be able to, uh, you know, not only guide them in the right direction, but guide them in different, you know, to different ways of their life. You know, um, I think that's, that, that's definitely key. You know, you need to be able to have a place where you can, uh, you know, you can actually send these individuals to these adolescents or adults alike, right, and, and where they can get the treatment that they need. You know, I, I think that's very important in, in, uh, in any type of, uh, you know, challenges or whatever you got going on in your life. You know, you need to be directed to the right places to go in order to get the services that you need. Exactly. What about you, Danny? Man, I, just, <laughs> I, I feel blessed, man. No, no matter what, everything that I've been through to be where I'm at today, like, I I always tell people I never could have ever, ever imagined that I would be where I'm at today. Like, yeah, I thought I'd either be dead or in prison for the rest of my life. And, uh, yep. you know, I always get people asking me, like, how do you do so much? Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I don't know, but I know this. I know, like, the same way that we were in the, the streets hustling and running around and doing crazy stuff, like, we had drive, mm -hmm. right? We were doing it all for the wrong way. Right. And so right. when you start flipping that around, you know, when I was a little kid or a teenager, uh, selling drugs and stuff like that, and people are paging me when we have pages. No, they don't have that stuff. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll go out there at three in the morning, two in the morning, do right. something, you know, and slang some stuff here and there. And like, you know, that was sacrifice, even though you were doing those things like for, for good. If you can do that for good, yeah, you know, whether that's studying, where that's doing going to community events or volunteering and stuff like that, like the rewards mm. are are a blessing, man. You, trans whether, you transform the hustle. You transform Absolutely. the hustle exactly. to something positive. You know, yeah. you just flip that around, and and I think, like that, and uh, for I mean, up and most more up. How would I say that the the utmost importance I would say is for me it was God, mm -hmm. all the way back then to where I'm at today. Exactly. You know, and there, and I can't I can't give that to nobody else. That's that's through Jesus Christ, right? I may not be the most perfectest perfect person in the world. But I know that that's the only way that I've been able to get ahead and do the things that I need to do to 
help people out and to look at my own life and my own self and say, yeah, I need to change that. Right. You know? Or I, I need some help in that area. Uh, and, and going through whatever little programs and things like that. I mean, and I, and the same thing, like, like Mikey said, I'm a, I keep calling him Mikey. <laughs> I'll call Mikey. <laughs> that's no okay. What. That's okay. Uh, you know, at work, it's a blessing, man. Pe- people don't know the stuff that we've all been through, mm-hmm. right? They might hear things and get a glimpse from things, maybe even the show later on. But when you were real and live in front of them running a group, whether it's an SUD group or any kind of group, and you get to have that real, because th- this stuff is real. Like, the yeah. stuff we've been through is real. The hurt and the pain that we've been through is real. Absolutely. That trauma we've been through is real. The, the All the family stuff, we all had to deal with that stuff at some point sure. when we were incarcerated yep. or when we got out. And we're still dealing with some of it, some of us, you know, right. uh, still learning and growing. But when you real with that stuff and you start transforming your life, like, you can give that back to somebody else. You know, I, I always say the saying, hurt people hurt people, right? Mm-hmm. But the other part is healed people heal people that's right mm-hmm. right and so right. when you start getting that healing for yourself it comes across genuine that that nobody else can connect like you can connect you know and exactly. i think like at work sometimes people will be tripping out on me like how how does he connect with those people man you know they're i got people that are homeless yeah. gang members right uh everything right. coming in the doors you know and it's because i can relate to them because i i know what that feels like i might not know every little detail of that but i know to a certain extent like what's up man <laughs> You need somebody to treat you like a human being. You know, some people. Exactly. Yeah. Some people always talk to people like this. Mm. You know, talking at them. Yeah, talking yeah. at them instead of talking like this. And there's right. a difference, right? Talking you talk to them. people like this, you're gonna get some bad reactions sure. eventually. You know, especially if somebody that ain't dealt with their stuff, right? If you got, I always tell them at the clinic, like, like if this water bottle is full and it's got all trauma, I ain't got no help. Whatever it's my mental health, my substance abuse, or whatever stuff like that. And I'm going around shaking this up because you, I'm, you're shaking it up because you're talking down to me. This water's if it's full, it's gonna come out. Right. And that's why you won't get cussed out. That's why somebody's gonna yell mm-hmm. at you, and you're gonna think, oh, it's all that person's fault. Let's call the police on them and ban them. No, they're here because they need help. Exactly. Right? And we need to help them empty that out in some healthy ways. You know, whether that's going through therapy through our integrated behavioral health, or whether that's getting some drug treatment, or whether that's getting some job training, whether that's you know, we don't know what what walks in the doors, what's happened, just like a lot of people don't know what's happened to us. Sure. You know, yes. and uh, fortunately, a lot of us have done that work and we've poured this out, whether that's through some self-help, through God, mm-hmm. you know, through other uh, avenues or a bunch of those things. And uh, and we've got those help that we needed and, and people need to know that they, they can get that help too. And we got to be able to talk to them like a human being, man. Some, just, some people just don't know how to do that. And so I, I think that's where uh, I've been able to excel. Right at work and in, in the community is because I've been able to do that, whether it's adults or youth. You know, I just go in there and try to keep it as real as I can mm-hmm. and uh, raw and uncut and bring everybody, all whatever friends that have changed their lives with, like, come on, let's go. Let's go to the school district and talk to these kids or let's go here. Let's, right. you know, so I think that's 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 uh, been a, a big thing, you know, to be able to connect with people. So Something you said, Danny, struck a chord for me. You were talking about the blessings. Like, it's just, it's such a blessing. And, and for me, one of the things that I've wrestled with and a lot of us who had life, you know, you don't want to go into the board with the type of attitude like, I got freedom coming, like I deserve this, right? And, and I ask myself sometimes, like with all these blessings we have, with these opportunities out here, you know, do I deserve it, right? And the answer is no, because the trauma that I caused through my choices, right, left lasting scars on my community, on my victims. But on the other side of that, because of my commitment to be a healing person, I'm worthy of the opportunity. So I might not necessarily deserve sure. it, but I'm worthy of it, right? Like, and I think that that, that was very instructive yeah. for me, and 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 it, it brought up some some thoughts of you when as you're sharing about how you're investing in the community and healing the youth and healing people that have these traumas. Like, you're worthy of all the blessings that come your way. Right? Yeah. yeah, I see and that. that there's, there's there's a man. I want to pull out some money, but I don't got no money on me. <laughs> yeah. Anybody got a hundred dollar bill? <laughs> I got a twenty. <laughs> well, this is what I always do, like. This term I learned, right? It's called unconditional significance, mm. right? And I usually do this when I do groups or go schools and stuff like. But I learned this, like, like I ask everybody, like, you know, who wants this hundred dollar bill? Right. Usually everybody's like, I'll take it. All right, cool. I've, I've had a couple of people that told me, no, I don't want that because I think they think some strings are attached. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a. I, I never had that happen before, but I've had it now a couple times. <laughs> uh, but usually they'll say, and I'll say, I'll crumble the hundred dollar bill up, and I'll say, okay, who wants it still? I'll still take it. All right, cool. I'll rip it in half. You, you still want this? Anybody want this? I'll take it. 
okay, what if I, what if I peed on it or or wipe my butt with it or whatever? I'll still take it. I'll clean that and I'll put some tape on it and it's good. And I'll say, why? Why? Why would you guys still take this after all this stuff to this this hundred dollar bill? They're like, because it's still God's value, right? Boom. And it's the same thing with us, right? Absolutely. No matter what we've been through, no matter the bad choices we made, no matter what's been done to us that we couldn't control. Sure. Like we never lost our value of being a human being. Sure. And we got unconditional significance and nobody could take that away from us, right? Because we are made in the image of God and that's how God made us, right? We might not understand it right now. Right. We might not see it about ourselves. We might have been through some stuff where everybody told you ain't, like I feel like, People telling me, like, you ain't never going to be nobody. You're going to be in prison the rest of your life. You're going to do this. Even before I ever got locked up or got in trouble. Like, sometimes you start believing that stuff mm -hmm. and you start living that out. When you don't have value for yourself, you don't value nothing else, right? Sure. Right. And if you're hearing that constantly, if a kid or adult, and that's all you ever do, like, you don't, you start acting out those behaviors yeah. subconsciously and whatnot, you know? So it, you got to know that you have value and that unconditional significance applies to everybody because we're all human beings there's another saying you can't give what you don't have right so, right yep. so how right. can you give someone else you know an invitation to recognize their value if you don't have it for yourself first right. yep right that's i love i love what you're sharing i mean both of you guys you use words like love and and and, and service and passion and um i think the difference that sets sets some of the work that you're doing apart is some people do it as a career like that's just what they do they go to work but you're you you're, you're doing it as somebody like you just talked about with value and, and that and, and your Christianity. And um, when Jesus in the Bible says that he looked on the multitudes and he loved them and he didn't, and it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with what they did or, or what they didn't do or, or their past or whatever. He just loved them. And that's probably the best perspective to help people become the healers, get their healing and then become the healers is to love them and to recognize their value, talk to them about their value, lift them up. We used to, have our soldiers for Christ softball team and on the yard. And we, so we say there's two types of peoples in this world. They're lifters and they're leaners. Get around a leaner for five or 10 minutes. You want to get away from them because all they're doing is just pulling you down. Mm -hmm. Like the old story of the Mexican crabs, you know, they try to get out of the, the barrel and the other one swipes their leg and pulls them back down. But, uh, and then they're lifters. And uh, our team used to say, we're all lifters, no leaners. And people, that kind of behavior, that kind of, those kind of actions are, infectious people see something different about you they want to be like you what was it about what was it about you michael that you wanted to get involved with working with youth so i think for me i mean it, again you know it's taken back to when i was 11 years old i mean uh you know i started getting incarcerated um when i was 11 years old i i, I came from a you know semi-good family you know so so you know i know a lot of people they want to put the blame on their family and you know all sorts of different things i, I think uh you know, I think, uh, you know when i think about it now i think you know my environment definitely played a big role you know of, of you know me entering this different lifestyle and, and, you know, and getting involved with gangs and drugs and stuff like that. Um, uh, again, you know, I, I lived, uh, you know, this whole life, you know, 28, 29 years incarcerated, in and out of being incarcerated. And, uh, and again, I started off at 11 years old. Uh, when I was 11 years old, I wasn't providing any services, I guess you can say, right? Um, it was kind of like I'd go to juvenile hall, I'd get out, you know, go back to juvenile hall, I'd get out. Never once had they ever asked me if I had a substance use issue. Never once did they ask me, ask me if I had any mental health, you know, issues or whatnot. So I kind of continued to live this life, um, you know, with my own knowledge. Whatever I knew is what it was, you know, or whatever I was taught, right? Right. Um, or manipulated, you know. Um, so so as, um, if the, as if the punishment was going to change you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what it boiled down to. You know, let, let's let's give this guy, uh, you know, two months for, uh, you know, skipping school or whatnot. You know, which eventually turned in, you know, this is going to teach him a lesson. Let's give him another uh, four months. You know, maybe he'll go to school next time. You know, um, that time never came. You know, so it kind of, you know, again, led to a life of destruction. And, uh, you know, I, th I think if I would have, uh, you know, had uh, some type of services back then like we do now, I mean, like we would like to have now. Right. Um, I think it would have made a, 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 you know, huge impact, you know, it definitely would have helped me out some, you know, or even just some role models like, you know, like, like ourselves, I guess you can say, right. Sure. Somebody that's able to get out there in the community and kind of show you like, Hey man, this is not the way to go. You know, you need to kind of, you know, wh why not try something different? You know, I, I'm willing to be your big brother. I'm willing to be your mentor. You know, I'm willing to show you a different part of, uh, you know, a different type of lifestyle rather than the one you're living. You know, I think that would have definitely held a, a, a big impact on, on where I would have went or what I would have became. Right. Um, so. So, again, you know, I sit down and, uh, uh, you know, I, I talk to talk to my kids and, you know, in a sense, you know, I, I, I kind of explain to them like, you know, in a sense, like I am you without without kind of giving them that information, of course. Right. But, you know, I, I kind of give them enough. And like Danny said, you know, I really like what Danny said right now when he said, you know, you got to keep it real. 
you know, and, and I think, you know, for, for incarcerated uh, adolescents, you know, adults alike, you know, you got you to meet them where they're at, man. Yep. You know, so if you go in there and you're talking, you know, this mumble jumbo that they don't understand, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Right. Yeah. You know, so 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 I think, you know, this is this is what brings us, you know, um, you know, I, I think this is where we can come in and we come in strong. Right. Because of the fact that we have this live experience. Right. You know, you have people that have, you know, individuals like yourselves that have done life, you know, and have all this time to educate yourself and, and to be able to come home and, and, and make a difference. Right. Um, you got somebody like myself, you know, that kind of did life in installments again, right? Um, but at the same token, I mean, I think we're all going to share the same message, right? Mm-hmm. This, this is what we need to do, and this is how we need to do it, right? And if you have this life experience along with some education and knowledge, I mean, that's power. Heck yeah. Michael, do you ever experience, like, resistance? So, I mean, you, we do our best to meet people where they're at, mm-hmm. but sometimes there are those individuals that tough nut to crack. How do you... How do you how do you handle those situations with the youth that are like, you know what, I'm just really not trying to, I'm not feeling you. So again, I think it's just about, I mean, for, from what I see and from my knowledge, like you got to let them express themselves and how however they think that's, they're going to be comfortable doing that. You just yeah. got to allow them to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of them might be resistant. A lot of them are coming from probation. A lot of them coming from court systems. A lot of them, a lot of them coming from different areas where they're just like, you know what? I don't want this. I'm cool. Right. You know, however, if you just give them that ear and show them that compassion, I promise you, man, they're going to, they're going to engage. Right. They're going to engage. One thing I used to see, even on, even on the inside with adults, once we started building those communities, those small groups, you know, I remember in Soledad at a time when there was only one AA meeting in the gym, I mean, in the cafeteria once a month. And then somewhere along the line, probably 2007, 2008, we started doing therapeutic community and get different groups. And it didn't matter, it didn't matter if you got, you know, the least criminal guy, the most criminal guy inside of a group of eight to 12 people, six to 12 people. Maybe that first week, you know, everybody's sitting <laughs> back and their arms crossed and their behaviors, their postures out. But once people start opening up with their story, here's what I went through. Here's what I went through. They start hearing, man, this, this is not, not much different than me. It's not much different than me. By week 12, they're fired up. Sorry. They're doing their homework. Community becomes the method of treatment. They, they, they start feeling loved. They start feeling cared, cared for. And um, I like what you said about meeting them where they're at. That's, that's some of the recovery work that we do. There's a word acceptance. You want to change him on day one, it's not going to work. Can you accept him where, where he's at while knowing that there's a future destination? I'm going to walk him there. I'm going to help him to get there, and I'm going to help him see that he needs to get there as well. So I, li- I like that part. Um, Danny, you mentioned flipping the script. So many people that we've, we've seen in there, they're like, man, how am I going to do it? It's so hard. And I think that's an important message as well, flipping the script. You already did it. Like my, my, fiance, my fiance's son. He, he's a gamer. He's on Fortnite and, and, uh, and some other shooting game, 8, 10, 12 hours a day sometimes. And he's like, how am I going to make it in college or in a vocation and, or, or work? He's, he's going to be 17 in June. And, and I'm like, you already got all the tools. You got that passion, that commitment. You know, you're doing it all on Fortnite already. It's just about turning it around and doing it here. You know, get, getting passionate about something, you know, that as far as for a career. I mean, who knows? Not everybody's going to make it through, you know, becoming a YouTuber. That's what all these kids want to do nowadays. <laughs> YouTubing. Or, or, or TikTok. Yeah, TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. YouTube, TikTok, and drop shaving. They want to drop shit, yeah. yeah. I, I get rich on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> but is, uh, how, how successful is that in those conversations with telling people, the, you know, you, you got it. It's already in you. Uh, but it's about flipping the script. Yeah, I mean... It's the same thing. There, there's a best practice they call now uh, harm reduction, right? Mm. It's basically that. It's working with people where they're at, right? And I, and, and I, I feel like that's what Jesus would do. Like, mm. it don't matter where you're at, whatever population you come from, you work with them where they're at, right? Some people, they ain't ready for it. So you just, you just there. There's a saying, There's another saying, right, that goes, uh, I learned this when I was in prison from when I worked in SAP, that dude I was telling you about earlier, Don Lane. Mm-hmm. He said, you can bring a, a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right. Mm. You can make them thirsty. You can make them thirsty. <laughs> make them thirsty. Yeah, that's so right. I, that's always stuck in my head, you know. So you know, if I get somebody that's resistant, right? I'm pulling that out. I'm, I'm trying to make them thirsty. Right. Like, what's up? Let me let me show you some things. You know, you just show some love to people, man. Some people ain't got no love, yeah. ain't had no love. Nobody cared for them. Try to look sure. out for them without with no some strings attached. You know, you just you just try to help them out. Like, look, man, this is this is what you could do. And if you need to, you share. You break your story down. Look, this is what I've been able to do. This is this is how I can help you out. It's up to you. Whenever you're ready, I'm right here. Like, I got some friends that are still running around in Salinas that I've known since I was little kids. they still getting high and running the streets. Mm-hmm. We, I'll, I'm going to be 40 in July. They're almost Uh-oh. 40 or maybe a little older, you know? And and uh, and I just mm-hmm. tell whenever I see them, they're like, send me some money, give me this. I just got out of jail again. 
all I could do is show him love. Every time I see him, all right, well, look, here's my number. You know how to get a hold of me. You know how to contact me through Facebook if you don't got no phone or however you need to get a hold of me. I'm here for you. You just got to show people that genuine concern and make them thirsty. What do, what do you think, what do you think about the use of incentives? When, and when I say that, I'm thinking about like CDCR and some of these new things that have come out. Mm-hmm. As far as like you can earn time off by attending programs. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Man, I wish they had that when I I would have came out at 25 or something <laughs> with my hair still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but I I think that's good. This so this is something that I do at work, mm-hmm. right? right? We and it's uh, it's been pretty groundbreaking. We call it contingency management. Okay. Right. So there's an incentive. Right. They can get gift cards if they mm-hmm. test negative for a certain uh, amount of times of drug screens and stuff like that. And it's been proven to work. Heck yeah. Right. And so I think that's great. I mean, I, I wish we had that when we were going through the pin, man. Right. Yeah. yeah. And no I mean, incentives equals little hope. Yeah. There's no hope. But that that's even better. You know, that gives somebody some hope that gives them something to get blessed with, too. You know, mm-hmm. it just inspires you to go a little more, you know. Right. And we use that with the kids as well. I mean, and it seems like it works great, man. You know, they, they got something to look forward to, right? They got something right. like, you know, if, if we do this, you know, this is this is what we get in return, what, you know, or what? Give us an example. So, for instance, if we got a kid that, that uh, you know, again, you know, the, the test, I think that's a big one, right? You know, because we want to, of course, we want to get these, these uh, you know, these adolescents clean and sober, right? right. So, for them, it's kind of like, you know, they're struggling, they're struggling, and, uh, you know, we started this incentive program as well. And, uh, and uh, you know, so every time they get a clean test, we give them, a, 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 you know, a gift card of $20, $30. You know, but these are things that they've never gotten in their entire lives, right? Nobody's ever given them something for doing something good, right? It's usually like, oh, mom, dad, you know, I, I got an A. Oh, okay, that's fine, son. You know, we'll, we'll talk to you later about that. That's what you're supposed to do. You, you know, so, so so they feel good about it, right? Makes them feel good. You know, you feel good about it, and, and it just seems like it works overall, man. It's, it's been good. Uh, yeah, and it's not a foreign to other adults. I mean, you go to work, you get a paycheck. That's your incentive. Yep. Pretty much, yeah. So, <laughs> so you're building that in as well. Uh, Danny, I remember you walking the corridors of, uh, of Soledad, and, uh, you know, you've already mentioned Jesus and your faith a few times. You know, uh, I, I, I know Jesus as well, but I remember you um, – uh, walking the corridor, guy had that glow, talking about, hey, trying to get people to write stories for your book, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, you got an interesting story that's connected to uh, somebody that we probably all listen to every once in a while. I know Jay does, I do, maybe you still do, but uh, Tupac. Yeah. So, so, so how, the, how is Tupac, Picture Jesus, you rolling. and your, <laughs> Tupac, Jesus, and, uh, and, your, and, your, uh, your, your, and your story all connected? Uh, man, that's a little bit long, but I'll try to make the short version. Well, give, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I was on probation or high, con- I guess like high control probation in, in San Luis Obispo County, Paso Robles. Well, at what age? And uh, from 15 to 17. Okay. And I, and I had left the county because I, I had, they, they told me if I didn't get in trouble for like a year that they would let me off probation, but they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't keep that, uh contract or agreement right and i was still doing things i just didn't get in trouble for a year right mm-hmm. and uh and i got kicked out of school i got into some kind of altercation some fights and things that happened and, and for some reason i should have got arrested and went back to juvenile hall but i didn't and then i ended up leaving i went back to salinas and my friends my homeboy's mom uh joe joe morales uh or his his mom cindy morales she just passed away not too long ago uh she gave me a bible Right when my, my uh, a couple of my homeboys were taking me back up to Salinas, she gave me a Bible and she said, "Here, me, I want you to have this." And I was like, "Man, I don't really want that. You know, I'm I'm cool. I don't I don't need that." But out of respect for her, I took it. Right, and my other homeboy Hugo had a book, and I just recently bought it again on Amazon just to kind of go back over some stuff because we're we're writing my book and some of that stuff's like backtracking some. Uh, what was the name of it? Uh, I think it's by Vibe. Okay. And it, yeah, and it, and it's a it's just like breakdown of Tupac's life. And okay. It's, and it's written by like Quincy Jones or something. I'll send you. I'll screenshot it to you guys. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But uh, I started reading that right. And I never really read no books, right? Well, I, actually, I started reading the Bible, mm-hmm. right? No, no, no. It was the book, the Bible book. So I started reading that, right? I'm, I listened to Tupac, all that stuff. I started reading that, and and there's a part in there where Tupac's incarcerated. and He's not on no drugs, he, and he's like searching out spirituality or religion. And uh, and it had it in there that he read the Bible, right? And I was like, "What? Tupac read the Bible? <laughs> That's not right? in any of his lyrics." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then he had something in there that only God can judge me. You know why he got that tattoo from Revelations twenty thirteen to fifteen? So I was like, "Oh, that made me pique my interest. I'm gonna crack that Bible." The homie's mom gave me. I pulled it out, read it. You know, I said, "Everybody's gonna come before God at the end of the world." 
and they're going to stand there, whether you small or great, rich, poor, don't matter who you are, you're going to get judged. And if your name's not written in this book of life, you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. Mm. And it felt like God started speaking to me when I read that, you know? And so that that's really the connection. So I was like, okay, spooked me a little bit. I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to start reading this Bible, try to figure this out. I went Matthew, Mark, Luke, and I was like, man, this stuff's stupid. I'm not, I, I can't keep reading this. So I just read Revelations. And that scared the hell out of me, and I closed that Bible. <laughs> and then, and then two months later, I got busted for the murder, you know. And and uh, like that, that that's really the connection, you know. It, it like it gave me a route, and where I started reading, and it felt like God started speaking to me. Mm. And that that eventually catapulted later on in juvenile hall, where I ended up getting saved or committing my life to Jesus Christ and, and making some changes, you know. Uh, so that 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 was the connection was that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting to bring up because it's co- sort of connected to, to this conversation about meeting people where they're at. Right, right, right. You know, in and, and, and this ain't a Christian podcast, right? But we have Christians. We have people from all different backgrounds on our podcast. We're willing to, for anybody to share their, their transformation story. But it, but in there, he had somebody speak through a donkey. Yes. And if he can speak to a donkey, he can speak through Tupac. He can, he can speak, speak through, through anybody. A tree. <laughs> he can speak through Mikey. He can speak yes. through Jay. He can speak through anybody. And uh, you never know how it's going to come. You know, never know when that person's time is going to come. And, and to to make that change, whether it's through God or or like 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 you shared, Michael, about once I went and got my help, got my drug treatment, got my mental health treatment, started working on my education. There's a common denominator there. You stayed free. Right. Would you speak to that a little bit? So. So, again, I think, uh, you know, for, at least for myself. Right. And I think, you know, this might, you know. For a lot of other people, it might be the same. I, I think you know, um, you know. I, I think for a lot of people that have been incarcerated, you know, that uh, you know, have gone through their lives without even knowing that they have a mental health issue, right? You know, um, we come out. Well, at least for myself, right? Uh, you know, again, like I said, I did a uh, life in installments. I guess you can say, right? So, so a lot of times that I came out, I wasn't aware that I had a, a you know mental health issue. I wasn't, you know, I, I knew that I had some type of substance issue, right? Um, but uh, but the mental health component, I, I didn't have no knowledge of, of that happening, or you know, that was within me. Um, That's so, probably pretty common too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I you I deal with you know dual diagnosis you know um, all the time. You know, somebody that this it's just a uh, they they come hand in hand. You know, so um, I think uh, you know you know coming home and being able to get into substance use and then getting referred to a you know to a mental health therapist and you know getting diagnosed. I, I was diagnosed with PTSD, mm-hmm. and I was told that this uh, you know that this came from uh, you know from incarceration. You know, from the things that happened while I was incarcerated, you know, spending years in the shoe, you know, spending, uh, you know, in isolation, you know, and, and uh, just seeing, uh, you know, all the violence that happens, you know, within the prisons. And, and uh, you know, so um, I, I think, you know, once I was able to deal with that and kind of get like a better hold on it and, and the understanding of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of helped me out because in the past, um, you know, I, I identified everything with uh, substance use. Right. So so when I came home and I'm running around with guns, I'm running around with drugs and I'm paranoid, I'm thinking, well, you know, hey, I'm just I'm I'm loaded, right, <laughs> you know, and, right. and that's what it is. So this comes with that territory. Right. I'm loaded. I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid. I'm, you know, isolating. I'm doing all these things because of the fact that um, I'm, I'm loaded, you know. So so finally, when I got sober and, and uh, you know, I, I still felt the same things that I felt when I was under the influence. Um, I knew that there was an issue, right? So, so again, I got referred to uh, behavioral health, and uh, you know, got diagnosed, and, and you know, started working on myself that way, and um, and and uh, it, it helped me out, you know. And then the education comes involved, you know, got involved, you know. Once I was able to stabilize, you know, I had people that uh, you know, that were willing to give me that chance, you know, people that seen something in me that I didn't see in myself, you know, and uh, um, and that 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 was uh, you know, that was definitely an eye opener for me, you know, I. I uh, you know, people would, you know, uh, staff members would come and like, man, you, you got some good communication skills, man. Like, right. you, you really know how to present yourself. You really know how to talk to people. Why don't you try this? You know, and, and uh, you know, and thankfully I had some good mentors and, and uh, you know, people that were able to tell me something uh, positive rather than tell me something negative, like Danny was saying, right? You know, my whole life I've been told that I'm not going to amount to nothing. You know, I'm going to be incarcerated for the rest of my life. And, you know, this is this is the person that I am. This is who I, you know, this is who I've become in a sense, right? So I, start, I started to believe that, you know, yeah. so I had no self-worth at all. You know, I, I had tattoos all over my hands, all over my head. And, you know, and because I thought in my life, you know, this is this is my this life. Is this is it. I, I'm never going to get any better than this. Um, you know, um, so so, uh, you know, all of these these three components, you know, when I when I was able to stabilize on the substance use and then deal with my mental health at the same time, you know, and then get into school. I mean, uh, that, it was just amazing for me. You know, I mean, uh, I think, you know, but but again, without the help, you know, without the structure, and without the help, I mean, I may not be here right now. You know, I may have went back to that lifestyle again, you know, and luckily I had a mentor that that uh, had a lot of years incarcerated as well. 
you know, so he knew what I was going through. He knew exactly what I was going through, you know, and uh, he, he's been a, a David Garcia, you know, has been a substitute counselor for a long time, really good man. And uh, he kind of guided me on this path, you know, but without somebody, you know, kind, uh, you know, making me understand and making me realize that I had something different, you know, that I can, you know, choose a different path. I probably wouldn't be here right now. Was, was this mentor, he was the catalyst for your transformation? Absolutely. How did he stand, Absolutely. how did he stand for you? Like, what was his, what was his method? So he, again, kept it real. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, for him, it, it's still him to this day, right? He's pretty cutthroat. You know, he's not going to sit here and he's not going to tell you something that, that uh, you know, just couldn't make you feel better, right? That, right. That's, that's not his thing. That's not what he does. He'd come in and give it to me real. Sure. Like, th this is what it is, you know, and this is what you need to do, you know. And if, if you don't do this, then, you know, they got a bed waiting for you back in the joint. Right. You know, and that's kind of what it boiled down to, you know. So I think, you know, that's kind of where I got a lot of my, uh, you know, my ideas <clears throat> from, you know, was because, uh, you know, he, he was a realist, you know. And I, and I think, I really think that that's important, you know, and I think that, uh you know, um, that's why I, I say, you know, people that come from our backgrounds, you know, uh, we can definitely make that difference, man. Right. You know, because we can relate, you know, and I think relating to people, that's where it's at, man. That's where it's at. And da and David, we both know David, uh, but David has that background, too. Yes. You know? And I, I used to work with him uh, when I was a solid that he used to be, he was a SAP counselor. Yeah. There. Mm -hmm. So he was spreading that to all the inmates in there while he was there. So that, that's another thing, right? Like we can do stuff and help somebody else out even while they're incarcerated. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I think sometimes there's a stigma with, with getting uh, mental health or therapy. I remember I was growing up, you know, uh, Mexican community, and everybody was like, man, that must that person must be a weirdo or something. Or, 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 they're, or they're crazy. Or they're crazy they're or crazy. J-Cat. Prison was, you know, it's a derogatory term, but, yeah, they call them J-Cats. Like, something's off right there, and then you make fun of them. But that's not... You know, there's a, I go to, I go to, I do hour and a half therapy every Friday. Absolutely. And it's one of the best things. And and then, and then maybe you don't go there, but I mean, I, I go to Jay often. Hey man, here's what I'm going through. Here's my struggle right now. And he, he counsels me back to life. And, and, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, I go to therapy. That's arguable. I got to stay, I got to stay talking, you know? Yeah. And maybe everybody doesn't identify their trauma either from years in prison. I, I, I don't feel it that much, but the other, two weekends ago, we went to the flea market out here. And it was the only the it was the first time I've been to a, what do they call it, flea market or swap swap meet or whatever it was. But out on Folsom Boulevard here in Sacramento, there's probably like three thousand people out there and too many and, people around. And, and all yeah. of a sudden, I felt myself it's a lot. It's a lot. Just scanning the crowd. Yeah. Yep. Scan, uh, mm -hmm. And I couldn't. I wanted to stop it, but I just I became aware that I'm I can I'm continuously scanning like if I was on the yard again. Yep. And and um, you know I could just tuck it under the rug and act like, you know, I'm, I'm, it's nothing, but also, I could also talk about it with somebody and, and work through it and heal through it and realize everything's all right. You're just in a place where there's a lot of people, nothing's about to kick off or nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think if there was something that was like an underlying theme between, you know, those of us who have been incarcerated and experienced that type of trauma and the people out here is that people are not typically cared for. They're not cared for. Everyone's so like focused on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're not taking any time to listen to one another and to, and to show that, that love and that concern. And like, how are you doing today, Rich? What's going on with you? Mm -hmm. You know, it, share it with me. I really, I genuinely care about you. And it sounds like what Danny and Mike are sharing is that, that their passion and their, their purpose that they found is, is in caring for people in that way that so many people are missing yeah. out on. And even with most men, you ask them, you know, how are you doing? Right. Say, I'm good. I'm all right. Right. I'm okay. Right. You need telling me everything. You're telling me nothing. Right. You know, so I'm, we're going to push past all that and tell me how you really do it. It's 128 feeling words. You could give me something because good, <laughs> sure. I, and okay are here's, feeling here's words. Here's the chart. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here's the, have you ever seen the one the with the smiley, smiley faces? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All the different faces. You know, do I need to show you some emojis? <laughs> Which one are you? Let me Google this real quick. Look at the face. <laughs> there you go. So something you said, uh, Danny, was uh, you were talking about juvenile hall. So you were a teenager when you committed your life crime? Yes. I didn't get life. Okay. I ended up getting 14 years. 14 uh, years. So uh, I was going to get 28 to life. I was fighting that. Um, yeah, I was 17 years old. I was on the verge of turning 18. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, what? I tried as an adult, fitness hearings, all the all the juvenile court hearings, all that kind of stuff. So, What was your experience like as a teenager when they made that transition and said, okay, it's time for you to go to the pen? Man, uh... Like it was a process, man. I mean, juvenile hall was a process. Going, to, I I went from juvenile hall. When I got found fit as adult, they sent me to the county to the hole. I sat in the hole for a couple of months, and my attorney tried to get me back to juvenile hall to go back to to if I get sentenced, go to YA. We won that petition, went back to juvenile hall, 
after being in isolation, first time ever in isolation or the whole for a couple months of my life, uh, and then went went back to juvenile hall, and then through all the court proceedings, then I went back to county since going to prison now. Uh, so, I mean, the first couple of years, it took a couple of years for me to even accept this is where I'm going to be at. Right. You know? right. 14 years. Yeah, it was, it was fighting it. Like, you know, there's a saying, like, uh, how's it go? Uh, like, you could tell a kid to s- sit down, but they're still standing up inside. Right. <laughs> it was like, you're you're sitting down. On, yeah, you're sitting down here for these 14 years. But inside, I was still standing up, you know? And I was going to try to everything that I could, tooth and nail, whether that was an appeal, whether that was working some kind of angle or trying to figure out how to get back in the court system. So the first couple of years, I was, I was trying to become a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> trying to figure things out, uh, read all my stuff again, you know? Uh, but after... I got that acceptance, just like, man, this is, there ain't, there ain't nothing else I could do. I just got to accept this and try to make the best of it. Uh, you know, definitely, definitely, I mean, that's a long haul. You don't even know if you're going to get out. No matter if you didn't get a life sentence. Sure. You got 14 years. That's still a long haul. Sure. And you don't know what's going to happen in there. Sure. You know, you're watching right. people get stabbed. You're watching melees, riots, everything go on left and right. You know, the same thing that you were saying, like, when you were getting out. Like, I had all that when I got out. We were at the Watsonville Strawberry Fest when all these people were around us, I just barely got out. It was like it was like when you were in on lockdown for so long, all these months, mm-hmm. and you come out and they start releasing the yard, and you know you feel kind of funny, like damn, there's too many people moving around right now. There's too there's too much going on. That's mm-hmm. how it felt like when being on the streets, right? You know, and and it felt like that at every uh, level and in, in, in incarcerated too. So, I think they have a new term for that now. It's like post incarceration syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. How did you stay focused, like in in the in the atmosphere, which is prison? Uh, which is so saturated with like anti-socialism, you know, gang politics, race politics. How'd you stay focused? How'd you keep your eye on the ball? You know what? Uh, I would say, I mean, I'm going to throw that all the way, all the ways out there, right? It's through my faith. But another, another huge thing is uh, I had a group of men my, around my age that all had life sentences or had a long time. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were, I remember my friend, uh, Ray, his name's Ray Aguilar. He just got out off of life sentence. Uh, and he was going to Bible college mm. and he was doing stuff, right? He just came down from the four yard. We're all in the three yard. And, and I was like, this dude got his life and he's still doing something. I, I, at that point I ain't even got a GD. I don't got nothing. You know, I'm, I'm like, man, you want me to work for nothing? Yeah. You know, you want me to work for some pennies? I don't even, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do nothing. I'm trying to be a yard bum and just hang out, <laughs> you know. But I started seeing that, and, and we kind of formed, like, a little group of youngsters that either had a life sentence or a really long time, and we started feeding off each other, and that kind of inspired me. You know, I said, you know what, man, I want to do Bible college, too. Let me try to get my GED. And, I and uh, you know, same way how I said I applied before when, when I was on the streets, I started applying those skills mm-hmm. towards that. I got my GED in three months. I went into the class. And bang that out, you know? That's right. And then little by little, I ended up going in the hole there. I was at, I went, I ended up being at CMC. I went to the hole because somebody said they recognized me from free staff that somehow was related to my case and they said they felt threatened. So they took me in the hole and that's how I got to solid that. Yeah. Uh, North Yard in 2003. Um, and, you know, solid that from 2003 to 2009, we were pretty much locked down all the time for nothing sometimes. Somebody dropped a kite. Somebody got stabbed. You barely walk out the door. Someone got stabbed. A mop ringer got came up missing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. just Long it didn't lockdown. matter what. Yeah. Like yeah. always locked down. I remember the, sure. they had PBS come by and they were doing a documentary on us that we were the most locked down prison in the whole state of California mm-hmm. at that time, and it just didn't make no sense to me. But I mean, uh, I don't know, man. It, it's I just stay focused through that. Uh, the first couple of years of solid dad, you know, there was another guy named Joe, and he. Uh, he told me, you should go to college. I had been trying to go to college, and I got turned down at the other prison. I tried to go to the inmate youth offender program. They were like, nah, uh, you have to parole before you're 25. I'm like, damn, how, how can I get ahead? Yeah. How can I get an education? You're telling me I'll parole before 25? I'm not going to get out here until I'm about 30 or right. somewhere, who knows when, you know? Right. Uh, and so that got shut down. But this guy showed me Coastline, right? <laughs> He's like, just get a book. I got a book. We'll share the book. Yep. And he walked me up there, kind of, like, mentored me how to do all the forms or whatever, all the stuff, you know. And I was like, all right, cool. I did it. I was hella scared because I was like, man, I got the GD. I don't even know how to do college. I barely got – I was, like, I was shocked that I did that, you know. 
I felt like I had a master's degree with that GD. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But he, he walked me through that, and, then, and uh, I took one class at a time. And just anything I started telling myself, you know, I, I came up with this saying, and I, and I put it on T-shirts now when I go to schools and pass out the T-shirts to the kids, but if it's meant to be, it's up to me, right? Mm, that's right. No, right. Nobody else is going to do anything for me, right? I need to go do it. Like, yeah, some people might help here and there, but I need to have that drive yep. the same way, like I was yeah. telling you guys, that I had on the streets for good. And that's the only way I'm going to be able to push ahead. So I, I did that. And, that, and then it kind of ties back into what Mikey was saying, you know, the the uh, PTSD and all this other stuff. Like, you've been told so much negative stuff about yourself so yeah. much yeah. that so. you don't even think you can you can be good. You don't even think that you can get a degree. You don't even think this. You're like, yeah, I remember reading some of this college stuff and be like, who am I kidding? Am I right. really, is this really happening? Am I really going to change? Like, I'm, I'm a, I might be in here the rest of my life. I might get caught up in something, even though I changed my life, you know? Am I am I lying to myself, you know? Yep. And not even believing myself. I took that first class. I think I had a B or an A, and I still didn't believe myself. I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this again next semester, take one class again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And You're, I did it again. I did it like two or three yeah, times. You and Richard Morales are brothers from another mother. They had the same thing. <laughs> I had to do that like two or three times. And then finally right. I said, damn, I got this. I just read this yeah. book. Yeah. Take this proctor test. You know, most of the time we're locked down. We're getting handcuffed up to the education office. Go take your test. Handcuffed back to your cell. Right. And I was like, I, started, I went from one class three or four times to two to three, four, five. And I started taking like six, seven classes before, before right. I paroled yep. to get the AA. That's, so that's you're talking about those self-imposed limitations, right? Mm -hmm. The self-imposed yeah. limitations sure. that we have on ourselves, the ones we give ourselves over to, like when we're thinking about in prison and we hit the yard and like, well, this is how it is. You know, you're Hispanic, he's black, you guys can't be cool, right? That's how it is. That's how it was for me and my co-defendant, Ted, who's white. And for many years, we gave ourselves over to that those self-imposed limitations. But what about the limitations that we face out here in society? Right. And I want to ask you, Mike, as someone who's working in this field of, you know, restoration and, and helping people that are struggling, what resources are not made available to people today that, that create a, like a context of limitation for many of the people that you serve? That's good. Man, I, I, uh, you, we just had this conversation a little while ago, actually. You know, we're kind of talking about, you know, um, it, it's unfortunate that sometimes, you know, you, you can't refer, you know, patients to certain uh, uh, programs or, or institutes or whatnot because of the fact that they don't have the right type of insurance, right? Mm. You know, so, so um, a, lot of, a lot of programs right now are aiming towards Medi-Cal, right, through this new waiver that, that uh, you know, that we're using now through Medi-Cal waiver, right? Mm. But there is some programs or, or uh, you know, treatment centers that just don't accept that, right? So, you know, I think one of the struggles for us, especially, uh, you know, out there in Monterey County is that you don't have a lot of places that provide services for youth. You know, and, and even uh, even when I say that, right, you know, if you have, uh, you know, uh, we'll just say children's uh, children's services, behavioral health services, right? You know, sometimes you have um, a lot of these these kids that are going there and, and either ain't getting the right type of treatment or they can't relate to the person that they're being treated by, right? So therefore, you try to find another, you know, um, location for them to go to, and there is none. You know, so now, now the struggle is, you know, is that you're, you're trying to find the right type of treatment for this adolescent just because of the fact that they've, you know, got a multitude of issues, right? right. But you just can't find somewhere to send them to. You know, uh, um, you know, if you, you find, a, you know, an adolescent that's 17, 18 years old and, and you know, and, and is, you know, having, well, just an example, right? You have a 17, 18 year old, you know, adolescent or transitional youth, should I say, that's, uh, you know, that's trying to do better for themselves, you know, and, and wants to do better for themselves. Um, so you want to be able to send them to some type of job development or something of that sense, right? You can't find it. You know, so so there, so there you are, you know, you, you're, you're trying to provide the services that, that you're, um, you know, that you've, uh, you know, the, we'll just say substance use issue, right? Because that's, you know, primarily what I deal with, the substance use issues. But now you've got all these other issues that are coming up, you know, and, and, uh, um, and you just can't find the right type of services for them, right? Um, there's a lot of different barriers, I think, you know, for, for um, you know, for, for kids and adults alike, right, where, where um, insurance is a, is a big thing. You know, depending on what type of insurance you got, it's going to depend on what type of service you can get. Right. And that's unfortunate, right? Um, you know, I, uh, again, I, I would like to see, you know, um, if, if I had a vision, what I would like to see is a one-stop shop. You know, I think uh, I was kind of explaining this to Richard a little bit earlier. It's just somewhere where you can go and you can have all the services provided for you in one spot, right? So meaning that, you know, you have a, you come in for a substance use issue, been determined that you might have, you know, some, maybe some mental health issues. So now you're walking to the next room right next door. You know, you're going to talk to, a, you know, an intake coordinator or whatever it may be and, you know, get assessed and be able to get those services. Okay, now, you know, we're going to go ahead and send you down, down, down the hall right here to our social worker. You know, she wants to, he or she wants to talk to you for a little while, kind of see, you know, where you're at and where we can do moving forward. Sure. Now we want to go ahead and send you to a case manager, right? Case manager is going to go ahead and help you out with getting you, you know, provided these services that you may, you know, you may need or may not housing, need or employment. housing, employment, all of that, you know, because all that comes into play, right? Especially when you have a, you know, 17, 18 year old that, that, uh, you know, has been told the same thing as a life, like he ain't going to amount to nothing. You, you ain't never going to be nothing. And, you know, yet he's striving to, to, to be a better person, right? But now, you know, you don't have all the services that he needs. I mean, what, what's he going to do? 
you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, they get discouraged. You know, people get discouraged, you know. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, but yet I can't get that housing. Yet I can't get that support, you know. I don't know how to do my GED, you know. So so as a substance use counselor, you know, you, you want to try to do all these things for them, right? You know, and, and you will attempt to do all these things for them. But I feel like if you can have, you know, these different providers in a one-stop shop, like I say, that's golden. Right. Well, that's good. That's powerful. Integrated services. Yes. Absolutely. And with with crop organization, I was sharing with you earlier. You know, we uh, our tagline is literally reimagining reentry by restoring lives and healing communities. Yes. And and our goal is, our, the first part of our program is that leadership development, digital liter- literacy, financial literacy, career training, and then connecting them to to employment. And and the thing is, is that all, all in one all in one place. Right now, we're doing it virtually. Eventually, we'll have have, have housing, one year housing program, connecting. Because even even on the inside, they'll say, you know, well, we're providing these programs for them to get college, or for them to get a career track. But without housing, what are you going to do? Like right. I, I've shared before, you know, I come out with a bachelor's degree, headed towards a master's, a job, making a, a, a livable wage, and yet everywhere I go to look for an, an apartment. I'm getting turned away because I don't have the factors that people have. I don't have the credit score. I don't have the two years of rental history. So what do I do? And those are the type of things we like to bring up on this podcast is because, because I don't think a lot of people either in government or the average citizen knows those things. Mm -hmm. They just think like, why can't they get it together? And they're not hearing this part of the story. Right. So I'm glad Jay asked you that question. And then there's a second piece, which we talk about called proximate leadership or proximity. Have you heard that before? I have not. It's, it's like those who are closest to the pain points, like yourself, mm-hmm. meeting them where they're at. Right. What about, what about funding for those who are formerly incarcerated who have substance abuse or mental health issues, funding for them to get trained into careers like yourself so they're not just stumbling upon it or having the idea one day so they can get in there because those who are the most proximate, the closest to the pain points, the, cl- the closest to the issues are the best suited to help those people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with that 100 percent. You know, I you know, again, I, I think what you're doing, that's awesome. You know, and I think that I think it's important for, for people to know, man, that, uh, you know, I, I think some of the smartest people that I've met, man, are, are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated people. You know, and I, I've seen that, you know, I, I've become to, to learn that, you know, um, and it's just about giving them that second chance. You know, you, you, you got you to be able to, you know, pave the way for them. You know, and I, I think that's, you know, it kind of sounds like what you're doing now, you know, what the two of you are doing now is paving sure. that way. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think, you know, the smoother the transition, the better the outcome. I mean, and that's just the way it is. Sure. People, people want to be cared for. We're back to that again, right? Absolutely. And, and it just seems so true. I mean, I've only been out a little over a year now. And it seems so true that the reentry space is really an extension of the punishment model that they use in prison. Mm-hmm. Everything's siloed. The services are not integrated. And people aren't being cared for. So you got, you got someone coming out with $200 gate money saying, you know, report to your PO in 24 hours or you're violated. Right. You know, find a place to live or you're violated. Find a job or you're violated, right? And it's like, I'm supposed to feel cared for? I'm supposed to feel like I, I belong here? Like, how does that add up? It doesn't, right? No. Yeah. Dan, uh, Danny, there's a, back in, let's see, probably about six months ago, we had a guest on a show, his former correction officer. His name is DJ Vodka. He wrote a book called The Green Wall. The Green Wall, yep. Right? So when he was on the show, we asked him a couple of questions like, what do you think would help the officers transform their perspectives from seeing us, objectifying us, calling us inmates, you know, probably eight out of 10, always pumping that message that we can't change, that we're supposed to be there. What what would um, transform their mindsets? And he's like, you guys need to get into their training academy. You guys need to start doing uh, leadership workshops in their training academy. And you're the only formerly incarcerated person that I know who actually works with the police department and does training for their academy. Would you speak to that and how you got into that? I know the former chief of police, Manny Solano, great guy. He came and spoke in Soledad. He's a person who loves people, sees people where they're at. You know, you got connected with him, but we're interested in you telling that story and, and what you're doing today in that area. Yeah. So a quick back uh, history before I go there is, uh, you know, I was in Soledad. And Manny came into the chapel and shared his testimony with everybody, right? And and he basically was like, look, you guys are all human beings. Like, it don't matter if you did what wrong or what not. Like, I'm here just to do my job. You know, I ain't trying to put my knee in your back. I ain't trying to do none of that. Like, yeah, I'm going to cuff you up, say a prayer for you, and hopefully you, hopefully you get it. But and any of my officers do anything bad to you, like, mm-hmm. that ain't right either. 
just because they have that authority, you know? And he went on to say, like, he tries to teach his officers to have character and all that stuff. And I remember sitting there thinking, like, man, that dude's all right for being a cop, you know? <laughs> Even at a, as a Christian, you know, you still have some some sure. other stuff towards people, you know? Sure. Even the police, you know? And, and, uh, and I got out six, seven years later, not knowing where I'm a parole to, and I just landed in Watsonville, right? Mm -hmm. I had got exiled all Monterey County and San Luis Obispo County. Didn't even think about Manny, right? No, not even furthest thought from my head, right? right. Uh, and uh, and that's why I'm going to throw that little thing in there. Like God, put, he prepares the steps. You know, you don't even know. He just starts setting things up. Uh, right. I have to go register as a gang member mm. at the police department. That's my parole. If you don't register, you you uh, you get violated. So I'm right. at this program, Si Se Puede, in Watsonville, and uh, we do the Strawberry Festival. We set it all up. You know, we do all the community service hours. Uh, Manny came to the program at the end of the day or after the three days, and Terry Medina, the ex-chief police before that, and they were like, go out there, and uh, they're thanking the whole program how good we did, you know, and all that stuff. They got a bunch of strawberries from the Strawberry Festival. Yeah. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Whatever, that's cool. I don't, I'm not going out there though. I don't need to be talking. <laughs> I don't need to talking about to that cop. I'm cool. But I I heard his name and it didn't click. You know, it's been six seven years, and uh, I was, was going the next day to register as a gang member, and then it just stuck in my head like, man, I know that name from somewhere. Where did I know that name from? And then it clicked. I was like, oh, that's that cop. He was the chief of police that came in and shared his testimony. And I was like, you know what, man? You know what I'm gonna do when I go to the register as a gang member? I'm gonna put all my stuff together that I was writing articles to the Beat magazine up up in Frisco, and they were publishing it, right, mm -hmm. on on my gang belief system, uh, the streets, criminality, all that stuff, you know, so kids could see, hey, look, you can do something different, right? right? Just trying to poke holes through everything so they could see the reality of that. So I went in there to sign up to register as a gang member inside the police department, and I give this secretary, I say, look, here, can you give this to the chief of police, Manny Solano, for me? And I put the phone number down on there for the program to call me, and I didn't even go sit down. I went back to go sit down. I didn't even sit down yet, and he comes right out and gets me. And he pulls me in his office, and I started talking to him. And I was like, look, man, this is what, this is what I'm about. You know, I know some people say they're about this and not, but I'm for real. Like, and things things developed from there, right? Uh, like, God gave me favor. So that started to me going around and talking to all the schools, right, because people started – Hey, can you talk to our kids at Watsonville High School on gangs and criminal stuff and addiction? And I'm like, yeah, I'll put a whole crew of friends. Mikey's come with me before, uh, Jimmy, a bunch of other friends have come, and, and we we go do that. Then that turned into uh, uh, Manny. I think, I think I don't know how long it's been now, five, six years, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Manny's like, hey, why don't you come to the police academy and do, do a presentation? You know, so I'm like... All right. That's deep. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right. Talking I'm, about challenging some beliefs, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dang, what are, okay, man, well, how do, how do, how do, what do I do? What do I say? You know, like, I can share my story. Yeah, that's cool. I want them to see. So I started, like, looking at everything, like, how can I put this? And, you know, you never want to point at nobody. Same thing, right? Talking down to people. You don't want right. to talk down to people, right? right. You want to connect with them right here. Right. I want to, I want to be real with them. Right. I want them to be real with me. So I put my whole presentation together, you know, and I go in there and I talk to him about gangs. I talk to him about my own lifestyle, uh, the things that made me change that like, we're not all, we're not all habitual criminals that we're never going to ever change. Mm -hmm. Like we can change, like there can right. be differences and, and give them the stuff with the water bottle example. Like, Hey, people got trauma. People got stuff. I have a little trauma tree that I put up on, on one of the PowerPoints. It's like, you don't know all this stuff that happened, these roots down here with them. Right. Right. You're only seeing these behaviors up here. Right. Right. And I level the playing ground with all of them. You know, I'm like, how many people got family members that are gang members? Mm. Some of them raise their hands. How many people got family members that have addiction issues? Mm. Some other officers raise their hand. How many people got family members that uh, have mental health or this, this, and that? Little by little, you know, not everybody, but people raise their hands. And then at the end, yep. I said, well, how many people have family members or friends that are human beings? Mm. Right, and that kind of just levels the playing ground, right? Right. So we we all here, yep. and then I kind of just share my story with them, and he, and he basically brings me in every time they have a new cohort of police officers before they go through. And some of these That's police awesome. officers are going to uh, Salinas, uh, the Monterey County Jail, Santa Cruz County Jail, That's Stockton. Awesome. Different. They're going to different police things, or sure. some maybe maybe they'll go to CDC later on. I don't know on their career, but I feel like it's an honor and privilege 
right? And like I said, I'm not talking down to him like, oh, you did this. this. And I tell him straight up, you know, I, my attitude was before was like NWA, man. No, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, F, F the police. Yeah. Right? And you got to understand that, like, some of us were brought up a certain way that you don't snitch, you don't do this, you don't mm -hmm. do that. Right. Forget the police. They're not this. They're not that. You know, you're my yeah. enemy. And then, and I throw it back onto him. Like, you guys could get that same thing too, right? Talk about the green wall. It goes back. Yeah. Right? It's us versus them, right? And so it just creates a space where we can yeah. have a healthy conversation. It's awesome work. And then right. they and they could see, like, you know, it's it's more about their character. Like, right. what do you want to be? You want to be a good cop or you want to be a bad cop? Right. Right? And I and I can I can guarantee you almost everybody, and I don't say almost everybody in there, when I've had those conversations, none of them want to be Bad cop. A bad cop. Right. That's good. None of them want to be over there like uh, George Floyd or any of the others. Right. We got to do, do part two, part two, because uh, we got to wrap it up here. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. But um, we want to, you know, a lot of people save. Um, thank you for your service for people in the military. But I want to say thank you for your service to your work, your to those struggling with addiction, those struggling with mental health, those struggling in the community, uh, gangs, for just coming out and giving your lives over to being of service to to love people, to love people. Uh, we thank you for coming on the prison post. Uh, I want to I want to plug Danny's uh, YouTube channel, Keys to Life. You can find him also on Instagram, Keys to Life, and on Facebook, Keys to Life. He also does shows where he has formerly incarcerated people share their transformational stories. It's powerful. Me and Jay got to share our stories and give back to to Danny. Thank you guys for traveling out here to <laughs> yeah. spend the day with us. It's awesome. And one day we'll do a part two. Yes, sir. Right. Thank awesome. you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Prison Post, a production of the Crop Organization. We'll be sharing more stories from the world of prison reform and restorative justice, so please join us. You can listen to The Prison Post on all major podcasting platforms. Subscribe to our videocast on YouTube and like us on Facebook at The Prison Post and at Creating Restorative Opportunities and Programs.